This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Friday, the 18th of December, 2020. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host, for almost an hour of observation, insight, and absurdity, one week away from Christmas Day. Good to have you along. Thanks so much for being there. I appreciate the fact that you make this part of your day. Hopefully life has been good to you. If it hasn't, take it out back and deal with it, okay? <laughs> oh man, it was a chilly morning in our neighborhood. I got up uh, I got up this morning. <laughs> I got up this morning and checked the temperature and it's it's like 20. 20, 21, 22, something like that. It's for us. That's cold. That's pretty cold here in the sunny Southland. It is not, it is not a sunny day for, well, it may be, well, I looked outside. I lied. It's a sunny day, but it's that, uh, high pressure system after the low pressure system, after the rain. And of course, what pushed it all through was this cold front. And now it's cold, 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 cold here. And, uh, I may have to, after the podcast today, I may have to retire to the sitting room and start a fire and have the butler bring me something to drink. It's a, um, <laughs> it's a, uh, an end of the week episode, uh, looking at a short week next week. I, I I'm not sure if I'm going to do a Christmas Eve podcast or not. I might, I have an idea. So just hang in there. If you get a podcast, if you're a podcast subscribers, I definitely don't believe I'm going to be doing anything live. Okay. On Christmas Eve, because, um, Family's gathering, things going on. I'm just going to take, I'm going to take, I think, that day. So I told you before that uh, we were going to be taking a break the week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so add Christmas Eve to that. So it's just a bit longer than a week, eight days. So that's the that's the deal there. But, um, but wow, short week next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then off the following, from then till the following week, and then back. <clears throat> back um on january 4 and uh I, I gotta be honest with you i've got some things cooking on the that were on the back burner but are now being moved to the front of the stove and things could get interesting here around the i don't know if it's going to happen new year's or not but very closely and i'm i'm guardedly optimistic and i'm looking forward to to breaking the news to you here we'll see what happens and uh and this thing that was on the back burner and is now taking some more of my attention it may actually sideline what i was going to be doing with the show notes and because it's it's taken so much time i've had to be I've, I've i've got a new project i've been working on a website for somebody and i've got uh i got some other things developing and it could be interesting i'll just say that and i hate to be so cryptic and so uh, uh, obtuse about it but the thing is that i can't tell you anything about it just yet i just just not just yet anyway uh, we'll see how that all pans out and if it pans out the way i hope it does dog on it there'll be plenty to talk about okay all right all right let's see where are we so much to talk about today where's my show notes let me pull my show notes back up here there are things i'm probably not going to get to today and i even today for once have a short list. I mean, it's just a, it's a short list of things because it's been that kind of a day. The, the, there's not a heck of a lot to talk about if you don't talk about the, uh, fraudulent president elect, and I'm not going to talk about the fraudulent 
president-elect, sleazy Joe Biden. I'm not going to be talking about anything to have to do with his presidency because, at this point, because he's not a president. He's not the president-elect. If if they manage to, to manage to push this fraud through to their desired end, he still won't be the president, in my view. He will be... He will be a dictator appointed by communists. And I know that sounds goofy. It sounds crazy, but that's what's happening. We're having people in our, in our midst who disguise themselves as being, um, as being just liberal people. They're Democrats. They're all liberals. These people are embracing something which has destroyed civilizations in the past, which has caused the loss of millions and millions of over a hundred million people have died as a result of it and they want to embrace it and put it into play in this country and it just boggles the mind that anyone could possibly entertain such a thing but here we have it so if you don't have if if i don't have him to talk about then it kind of it kind of reduces things but we're going to talk more about the election about the fraud we're going to talk about uh um a little bit about covid did you see the video um yesterday there was a a nurse now i don't know i can't remember where it is i don't have it pulled up in front of me right now but there was a nurse who in uh, the in 10 minutes or so after she got her covid vaccination she was standing in front of a microphone at a press event and um she <laughs> She was talking to people about getting the the, uh, the, the vaccination, and she got a headache, uh, stepped away from the microphone, uh, turned, and then collapsed. She passed out within 10 minutes of having the COVID-19 vaccine. And, of course, people went nuts. They started passing this around. Look at this. No way I'm having this. In my, that was my original my original assessment was well there you go uh with these kinds of side effects who's going to have this and then i did some more reading now please understand me i have not changed my opinion i really i'm not going to have this vaccine unless i'll I'll put an unless on this unless it is impossible to live life without proof that you've been vaccinated and i and i have to put it that way unless it's just impossible it's the same thing as with the masks. I don't like the masks. I don't think they're necessary. I think they are. Uh, I think they actually cause more problems than they are solving. But people are sheep and they're insisting. And we've got all the Karens out there pointing fingers at you and screaming like Donald Sutherland in in <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> if you're not wearing a mask, they'll point you out, and the next thing you know, you're being crowd shamed into wearing a mask. And 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 you've also got the signs on doors. Well, it's going to be that way with the with the vaccine as well. People are going to say, if you got your vaccine card, we won't let you in here unless you've been vaccinated. It's, it's going to get that way. The, Israel is now issuing the vaccination cards that's happening there. It'll happen here as well. And the, the, the powers that be the Karens, especially if, if sleazy Joe gets in the office, you can count on it. The borders will open taxes will go up and you'll have to carry proof that you've been vaccinated in order to be able to live your life in this country. And that's a sad thing. But uh, it turns out this nurse had a pre-existing condition. It is a, uh, now I cannot remember the name of it. I read it. I told my wife about it and it's just, poof, it's gone. But there is a condition that causes certain individuals, a tiny number of individuals who live and walk among us to actually 
faint, to pass out in high-stress situations, some even at just at the sight of blood. It's, it's, they have a certain kind of stress. It affects them, affects them a certain sort of way. There is a nerve that is put under pressure, and when that happens, they just blink out. Um, I have seen pictures and video of people who, uh, who pass out upon being sentenced in court. I've seen pictures and video of people who, who pass out at the, at the site of an injury. I, you know, and there are people who, who get into high stress situations and they just, they're gone. And this nurse is one of those people. She just, she has this condition. Think about that. You're a nurse. You see blood every day. You see all this, you got all this high stress stuff. She's a nurse. She gets a shot. She has a, she ha, her body says, whoa, wait a minute. What is, oh, blink, and blinks out. And she does it on camera, standing in front of a microphone, which is not doing a lot of good for the image of the, of the COVID-19 <laughs> vaccination campaign. The effort is not going forward very well. <laughs> Bless their hearts. It's not a good image, <laughs> but there we have it. And as long as I'm on it, um, in Colorado, there is a coroner who is uh, not happy about the death data around COVID-19. This is coming from OAN. Um, as the number of coronavirus deaths continues to grow, there's a coroner who says many of the deaths listed are actually not from COVID-19 at all. Well, duh. Brenda Bach, a coroner in Grand County, Colorado, said her jurisdiction lists five coronavirus deaths. However, as Bach tells One American News, what the data does not reveal is that two of the victims actually died of gunshot wounds. Quote, they were actually gunshot wounds. The people had tested earlier in the month for COVID. And because they did have COVID, our state health department is listing them as coronavirus deaths. Huh. So apparently the bullets were infected with, corona, with, the, with the Rona, and that's what killed these guys. Oh, gosh. See, she added, it's absurd these cases are listed this way. She also notes, inflating the data will only hurt communities by driving visitors away and instilling fear in residents. She says, when you start jacking up the numbers for death rates, they're going to start closing counties down. She mentioned this isn't just a statewide issue. She says, I think this is something that's happened nationwide. I've, I've heard back from coroners in other counties that they're doing the same thing, even with motor vehicle accidents. She notes that if patients had been tested for coronavirus within 30 days of their death, the county lists them as having COVID-19 and their death as a COVID-19 death. Misreporting a person's cause of death can bring up challenges for the victim's family. Bach explains it can change the amount their life insurance provider is obligated to pay. Yeah. If you die, she says, if you die of a motor vehicle accident, that's considered an accident. But a COVID death is considered a natural death. If you have a life insurance policy that pays double for an accident, but when it's classified as a COVID death, now you have attorneys and insurance companies disputing the deaths. And families, as a result, of course, are going to suffer because they need that money to take care of all of the expenses surrounding that particular death, the funeral and everything. They don't get it because somebody has to be jacking the numbers up. In the meantime, states across the country are reimposing lockdown orders by citing a rising number of coronavirus cases. This Dr. Bach urges others in her position to step forward and speak up in hopes of bringing awareness to the issue. 
She says, I think more corridors just need to step up to the plate and talk about this. And she's right. They need to be talking about this. They need to be peeling back the, uh, the, the veneer, peeling back the curtain and letting people see what's really happening on the inside that a lot, not just a few, but a lot of the numbers, the death numbers being attributed to the coronavirus were not Corona deaths. They were, they were gunshot deaths. They were automobile accidents, motorcycle accidents. They were, they were people dying of natural causes, but attributed to the coronavirus. This is something we've been hearing, sort of the grapevine, sort of a gossipy thing. We've been hearing it for quite some time, but now we're beginning it to hear, hear it from people like this Dr. Bach, Brenda Bach in Grand County, Colorado, and others who are saying they're seeing, they're being required to report certain cases as corona deaths, even though coronavirus was just part of the equation. It wasn't what actually caused this person to pass away. Sure, some are saying, oh, well, they, were, uh, they, they weren't going to die. They were in bad shape, but it was coronavirus that pushed them over the edge. Really? And uh, you got your medical degree from where? Please tell me. You don't know that. That's just a rationalization because you want to accept the narrative. And the narrative is that corona is killing lots and lots of people. Well, let me encourage you to go have a look at the death statistics for the last handful of years. It's posted online nowadays. People are spreading it around. Go have a look at the statistics for how many people in America died last year, the year before, the year before that, and also this year. And you'll begin to notice something. Not that many more people, if any, have died than died last year. I think it's actually fewer. The overall deaths. Go have a look at it. Do a comparison and look at specifically influenza. You'll notice that case numbers are down this year. Gee, I wonder why. My friend, we're being lied to about so many things and kept scared, frightened, because frightened people are easier to manipulate. They're more willing. They're more willing to allow someone else to control things for their own safety. And in doing so, they give up their liberty. To the Daily Perspective Podcast. You are some messed up white people. Boy, are we ever, I tell you. Especially when you look at stories like this one in New Orleans. My son lives in New Orleans, and uh, he can, boy, he can tell you some stories about how messed up New Orleans is. If you're a believer, you're probably familiar with the name Lauren Daigle. She's a, a Christian singer. She's won a couple of Grammys, five Billboard Music Awards. Very talented young lady. But her talent and popularity notwithstanding, the mayor of New Orleans... Latoya Cantrell claims that Lauren Daigle has committed the unpardonable sin. What would that be? That would be performing without a mask in a Let Us Worship protest gathering back in November in the French Quarter at Jackson Square. The protest was organized by evangelical activist Sean, uh, Sean Fuchs and was held without a city permit. 
Mayor Cantrell told Dick Clark Productions in a December 9th letter that was made available to the media, Ms. Daigle cannot and should not be rewarded with national media exposure and the public spotlight. She was referring to the annual Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve show. She goes on to say, she harmed our people, she risked the lives of our residents, and she strained our first responders in a way that is unconscionable during a public health crisis. This is not who we are, and she cannot be allowed to represent New Orleans and the people she willfully endangered. Mayor Cantrell's letter sparked outrage among other Louisiana officeholders, especially Attorney General Greg Landry and Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungresser. Cantrell's a Democrat. Landry Nungresser, they're both Republicans. <laughs> Nungresser said in a statement, The result of her actions was a decision by Dick Clark Productions to pull Lauren Daigle from the lineup and any celebration from Louisiana to be broadcast worldwide. In the long run, this action will not only hamper any efforts for New Orleans to recover from the pandemic, but also every city in the state which offered to host the event and the state as a whole. Landry zeroed in on the constitutional concerns raised by Cantrell's censorious demand, saying, Your rights to protest and worship are enshrined in the First Amendment. I vow to do everything in my power to protect them. He wrote this in a letter to Lauren Daigle. He made it public on Twitter. He goes on to say, and I offer my assistance to work with more hospitable regions in our state, like your home parish of Lafayette, if you and Dick Clark Productions wish to move the event. But it was Lafayette Mayor President Josh Guillory who, in a Facebook post, pointed to the, the cancel culture aspect of the affair. Daigle, by the way, is from Lafayette. He says, we've just seen the tremendous cost of mindless negativity. This was a wonderful chance to showcase our state and one of our premier talents to the world. Now it's gone. Now one of our greatest shining talents is kept from a worldwide audience waiting for her message of hope. And our most famous city is again left behind. It's this kind of unthinking venom lashing out without regard that is destroying our country. The Daigle Flap comes amid a remarkable series of federal and state court decisions sparked by the U.S. Supreme Court's verdict against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's clearly discriminatory anti-COVID regulations that shuttered religious congregations while leaving essential businesses open. In that November decision, Justice Neil Gorsuch observed that under Cuomo's edict, people may gather inside for extended periods in bus stations and airports, in laundromats and banks, in hardware stores and liquor shops. No apparent reason exists why people may not gather subject to identical restrictions in churches or synagogues, especially when religious institutions have made plain that they stand ready, able, and willing to follow all the safety precautions required of essential businesses and perhaps more besides. The only explanation for treating religious places differently seems to be a judgment that what happens there just isn't as essential as what happens in secular spaces. Indeed, the governor is remarkably frank about this. In his judgment, laundry and liquor, travel and tools are all essential, while traditional religious exercises are not. That is exactly the kind of discrimination the First Amendment forbids. Just as an as a side note here, do you understand why laundry and liquor, travel and tools are considered essential and religious exercises are not because one of these things doesn't produce tax revenue. Uh-huh. 
because the churches are tax-exempt and the businesses are not. And so in order to get the tax money, they're calling those places essential. They're essential because they produced revenue for the state. That's why they're essential. And places that don't produce tax revenue are not. That's their thinking. Just so you understand why. It's all about money. It's all about taking the money from the people so the state can have it to spend on what they want to spend it on. And since they don't get money out of the churches, they shut them down. And the fact that they don't think about the First Amendment when they do this tells you everything you know, need to know about how their brains work. They're not concerned about the law, which protects us from them. They're concerned about what they can do to us. Well, in the weeks since this flap all came up, the California Superior Court moved against similarly discriminatory anti-COVID regulations issued by Governor Gavin Newsom. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals blasted Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak's anti-church rule. And the high court itself applied its November precedent in knocking down such edicts in Colorado and New Jersey. Normally, it's politics and law that are downstream from culture, which is in turn downstream from philosophy and theology. In the Cantrell-Daigle flap, however, it appears the law, at least, is way ahead of the culture. Uh, one more thing. This should remind you of just how distant cancel culture can be from reality. Apparently, Lauren Daigle was never even slated to be part of the New Year's Eve production. So, the mayor of New Orleans had a knee-jerk reaction and went off about something that wasn't even planned to happen. And if you live in New Orleans, God bless you. I, I, all I can say is God bless you. That's your mayor. And it shows you just how unqualified for real life politicians can be. Politicians on the left and in many cases on the right. Because they recede into their own little universe, their own little world. And they see everything through the filters applied to that little world. Which don't apply to the world you and I live in. And because liberal, progressive, Marxist politicians see things through the lens of their ideology. They rush to protect the victims of any kind of thinking which they disagree with. And they will condemn whoever disagrees with their view of the world. And as such, the mayor of New Orleans stepped up to protect her people from someone who answers to a higher authority than the mayor of New Orleans could ever aspire to be. That's just a little something to keep in mind. When someone like Lauren Daigle, who walks a faith walk and lives as a person of faith, 
exercises her constitutionally protected right to to worship and to express her faith. And a government official condemns her for doing so, then the government official is the one that's in the wrong. That's something to remember. I've had people tell me in conversations online, well, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to uh, submit yourself to the authorities. Okay. Um, when you move to a country where that applies, let me know. But in the United States of America, you and I are the government. You and I answer to a set of laws put in place by the people. It is of, by, and for the people. We govern ourselves. The Constitution is the law that we have all agreed to abide by. And when a government official transgresses the law of the United States of America, which we the people have set in place, then we answer to the law. And the government official answers to us. It's not the other way around. Just keep that in mind. You and I, as people of faith, we answer to a higher authority. More after the break. You're listening to the Daily Perspective Podcast. listening to the daily perspective podcast at least i am <laughs> welcome back it's the daily perspective podcast about halfway through this friday edition for the 18th day of december 2020 oh man this story popped up this morning and um and i had to i had to include it because <laughs> It's a story about about Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama. I live in Alabama. And uh, (laughs) what he had to say, uh, I think, is appropriate. And I love his approach. I've also got another one that's Alabama-centered. It's coming up in just a minute or so, or a few minutes. Well, the House has the members needed to contest the Electoral College certification on January 6th. But thus far, Senators have lacked the courage to stand for Americans. That's according to Representative Mo Brooks, the Republican from Alabama. He said so on uh, yesterday's Stinchfield program on Newsmax TV. This comes from Newsmax.com. He says, I've been in Congress for a decade. I know how some of these Congress critters and Senate critters try to avoid being courageous when it comes to what they call difficult votes. But in my mind, that's what we were elected to do. I can only control my own vote how I'm going to conduct myself according to this, uh, concerning this voter fraud and election theft. And I'm going to assure that the American people, I'm going to do everything I can to reverse these electoral college votes submitted by states that have election systems that are so badly flawed that their reporting of electoral college votes is rendered untrustworthy. <laughs> I love those terms, Congress critters and Senate critters. I'm sorry. <laughs> he just owns me there. But Brooks pointed to the key battleground states, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Nevada saying we should not be certifying those voters. 
Rather, we should be rejecting them, which is our absolute right under the United States Constitution. Senators should stand for the Americans who feel this election was stolen, he adds. Quote, the citizenry should be fed up. We elect people to Congress in the House and the Senate to be leaders on behalf of our country. Not to shake in their boots in foxholes when the battle is being fought, only to rise up after the battle is over with a joke with the winners and claim we won. That's not what we need in Washington. Brooks concluded with a rebuke of the opposition, saying the Socialist Democrats have essentially stolen the accurate and honest elections from the American people with their unlawful executions of mass mail-in balloting under the guise of the coronavirus pandemic. Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama, he's got it right. He sees very clearly, and he is one of those who will stand against the, the fraudulent vote coming up on January 6th. And he is not alone. Also from Alabama, Senator-elect Senator Tommy Tuberville has said that he will join objection to the electoral vote. He's going to be in the Senate when Congress meets to count electoral votes next month, and he suggests that he'll join in the planned objection by members of the House of Representatives. And I actually have the audio clip right here. We got to grab a hold and hold on. We have no choice. Listen to me now. We have no choice but to win this election. They're going to try to steal it. They're going to try to buy it. They're going to do everything they can, lie, cheat, steal to win this election, like they did in the presidential election. It's impossible. It is impossible. What happened? But we're going to get that all correct. I'm going to tell you, don't give up on it. Are you going to fight to make this election right? Pardon? Are you going to fight to make this election right? We're going to fight hard. What can y'all do on January 6th? Madison said y'all had tricks up your sleeve. We're going to run to it at the airport. We've got to get away for us. You, well, you see what's coming. You've been reading about it in the House. The Democrats are not going to bring We're going to have to do it in the Senate. I'm sorry. Well, there you go. And that's a, a little bit of an edit from when he was on stage and the audio was not great because there's somebody in the room with a you know, shooting video on their phone and they're catching the speaker audio. And then somebody confronting him as he's stepping away and he's got somebody trying to usher him out saying, hey, we've got to be moving here. But... The, the video was captured, by the way, by Democrat activist Lauren Windsor. And, of course, they're trying, to, they're trying to demonize him for his stance. Now, his campaign hasn't responded to requests for comment on whether he plans to join in objecting to electoral votes on January 6, 2021, in a bid to hand President Donald Trump the election. Stan McDonald, Tuberville's, uh, Tuberville's uh, campaign chairman, said in a radio interview on WVNN that... Tommy Tuberville and Ted Cruz were the two best candidates to challenge the results from the Senate. McDonald said, I don't know yet if or when he'll do this. I do know that he's very seriously considering it. So they are, they're becoming, in, in response to his comments, they're being very cautious. They're being very protective. And no doubt he's got people around him saying, hey, 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 easy, easy. These people who are the political experts, these people who are the campaign experts, those these handlers, which is one of the biggest problems we have with our government today. One of, not the, but one of the big problems is that there are all these people, these public image people, these handlers who are massaging every word that comes out of their mouths and inspecting everything that they 
that they post on social media and cautioning them, cautioning them to be, to be, you need to be very hands off about this because you could uh, incur some negative opinion here from these people. And, And here's the thing. We elect these people to represent our interests. Supposedly they are there standing as us in our nation's capital. They are us. That's what we send them there to be. And we, we chose them because they reflect our sentiment. They reflect our views. They are there to represent us. And then they have people telling them, Ooh, easy now, easy, careful. You don't want to offend this, this group or that group or well, this group or that group didn't vote for them. This group or that group has no say in what they do. Oh, you got to be careful. You don't want to offend those, you know, those, uh, uh, emotional people. You don't want to offend these people who think the environment's going away. You don't want to offend the, that's not who voted for them. They're there to represent the people who voted for them. Not anybody else. So people like Tommy Tuberville should be free to say what he thinks because that's what his voters voted for, for him. Now, Tuberville, remember, unseated Doug Jones after after defeating former Senator Jeff Sessions in the Republican primary. Tuberville portrays himself as somebody who would be a strong Trump ally if elected. Objections during the joint session require at least one House member and senator. If a member from each chamber challenges a state's votes, each chamber withdraws and debates the objection. Upholding it requires a majority vote, something considered unlikely because of the number of Republican senators who have said they won't back the effort. The fact of the matter is that's been litigated over and over. The Department of Justice has weighed in, said Senator John Thune. He's the Republican from South Dakota, the number two Republican senator. That's what he said this week. He said, the states have all certified. The Electoral College has acted. It's time to be done with this. And I, oh God. I, uh, and I would hope that we wouldn't have members of the Senate who would decide that makes sense. I don't think it's a good decision right now. And I don't think it's good for the country. It's time to be done with this. Senator Thune needs to be removed, replaced, primaried. He needs to be pulled. Because what he's saying here is that he's uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable because he's scared. He's scared because this is not what the Republicans usually do. They usually just accept defeat with honor. And that's not how you win for the people. That's how you let the people be abused. And Senator Thune is in the abuse camp, not in the representation camp. He needs to be removed. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, I'd say the same thing about him. On the Senate floor Tuesday, he called Biden president-elect. He sparked a backlash from within the party prompted threats to primary any GOP senator that don't fight alongside Trump. I agree. If they're not fighting alongside the president who has made this nation so much better for the uh, during the past four years, 
this this president who had such an incredible national enthusiasm, this president who brought out 75 million real votes in this election, more than any sitting president in the history of the country, only to be defeated by a fraud. If they don't stand up for this guy, they don't stand up for you or for me. Representative Bo Brooks sparked the idea of filing objections. He said Congress has the absolute right to reject the submitted electoral college votes of any state, which we believe has such a shoddy election system that you can't trust the election results that those states are submitting to us, that they're suspect. And I'm not going to put my name in support of any state that employs an election system that I don't have confidence in. Since then, at least three representative elects have said they will join Brooks. And at least five senators have said they're open to joining in. I think there should be many, many, many more than that. And I think you probably believe the same thing. But the cowardice is just astounding. The people that you and I across this nation have elected to stand in Washington, D.C., on our behalf, for us to basically be us in Washington, D.C., are cowering in their boots, or as Mo Brooks said, shaking in their foxholes. They don't want to they don't want to have to make this tough choice. They don't want to have to make this tough decision. All of their handlers are telling them, oh, be careful, be very cautious. You don't know what you don't want to offend these people. And they're listening to them instead of doing what's right. It's time for all of us to get on the phone, to send emails. And if you can, go to the state offices of each one of these people who represent us across the land and get in their faces and tell them, if you're going to represent me, you're going to stand against this fraudulent election and you're going to stand up and reveal these criminals for who and what they are you're listening to the daily perspective podcast Remember that time, you know, that time that, that Joe Biden was standing off with a, a worker in Detroit, guy wearing a hard hat, orange vest, and talking about gun rights. And Biden's pointing at him, almost poking him in the chest, scowling, almost yelling at him, says, hey, I'm not working for you. Remember that? Well, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really did happen, by the way. Even the liberal USA Today has done a fact check and said, yeah, that that actually did happen. You see, people like Joe Biden and the people behind Joe Biden who are actually making all the decisions and writing everything he says, those people don't see themselves as representing you. They see themselves as being your shepherd. They see themselves as being your hero. I think shepherd's an even better word. Because... 
a shepherd is part of caring for the sheep to protect the sheep, to keep a sheep from wandering off that keeps wandering off away from the rest of the pack, a uh, pack, <laughs> the rest of the herd. A shepherd will break a sheep's leg and carry it around to keep it from wandering off, to protect it. We don't need a government that will harm us for our own good. But that's what we're getting in Joe Biden. Something you need to remember is that a Joe Biden presidency will be Barack Obama term three. More of the disastrous Obama administration. That's all it'll be. And it's going to hurt. So it's important that we fight it. And Peter Navarro, from an article in the Epoch Times, has issued a report on voting irregularity. He says the emperor in the election has no clothes. Peter Navarro serves as an advisor to President Donald Trump. He concluded in a report on the integrity of the 2020 election, the, the allegations of irregularities are serious enough to warrant an urgent probe and substantial enough to, re, to overturn the results. The findings of the report, and please get the show notes today because the, a link to the PDF of the, report, of the report is right there in the show notes, and it contains charts. <laughs> it's like a PowerPoint presentation. It's not really. There, it, it has charts so that you can see the various the various aspects of his of his examination of this issue and which states had the problems he's talking about and things like outright voter fraud ballot mishandling contestable process fouls equal protection clause violations voting machine irregularities significant statistical anomalies um fake ballot manufacturing destruction of legally cast ballots um indefinitely confined voter abuses, ineligible voters and voters who would who voted in multiple states, dead voters, ghost ghost voters, counting ballots multiple times, illegal out-of-state voters, and on and on and on. These charts show you what happened in which state and sort of flesh out what he's talking about here. I may not get through all of this because it's quite a bit of it there, but it's in the show notes today. So make sure you go to dailyperspectivepodcast.com. Uh, if I don't get them posted to social media today, okay, I'll try to post the link, but eh, today is going to be one of those days. Just, just warning you in the findings, the findings to the report released on December 17th entitled the immaculate deception support the claim that the election may well have been stolen from Trump. Navarro, who is director of the White House Office for Trade and Manufacturing Policy, produced the report in his capacity as a private citizen. Quote, if these election irregularities are not fully investigated prior to Inauguration Day and thereby effectively allowed to stand, this nation runs the very real risk of never being able to have a fair presidential election again, according to Mr. Navarro. On a call with reporters explaining his findings, Navarro said his role in compiling the report is to say the emperor in the election has no clothes. Fielding questions about what at this stage can be done, given that numerous legal challenges brought by the Trump campaign have been dismissed and the Electoral College has already voted, Navarro said, quote, with every day that goes by, it becomes more complicated and options narrow. Um, please remember, and every time we talk about cases being dismissed, please remember that the vast majority of these cases 
have been missed dismissed on procedural reasons for procedural reasons. And a lot of them, particularly in the state of Nevada, that's one great example, were just ignored. Just now, they have all this evidence, binders and binders and binders of testimonies. They just ignore them. They won't even look at them. Now, that is not justice. But that is, that is the progressive justice system. If you don't want it to matter, you ignore it. Trump campaign attorney Jenna Ellis, in a recent interview with the Epoch Times, said there's still time for state legislatures to convene in special sessions and authorize alternate slates of electors. And this has happened in seven states. While Navarro declined to specify a proposed remedy in light of his findings, aside from a thorough investigation, he said the last thing this country needs is an is, is an inauguration day where we have what is perceived to be an illegal and illegitimate president of the United States. And this is exactly what will happen towards the end of January if Joe Biden is sworn in. There will be half or more of the people of this country who will see him as an illegitimate president. I'm included in that number. In making an urgent call for a probe of the allegations, Navarro argued that if, in fact, compelling evidence comes to light proving the election was indeed stolen after a, a fait accompli Biden inauguration, we as a country run the very real risk that the very center of our great American union will not hold. In the report, Navarro examines six types of irregularities in the battleground states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. States in which certified results show Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden holding a lead and where the vote continues to be hotly contested. Navarro said that the pattern of irregularities across the six states suggests a coordinated strategy to, if not steal the election outright, strategically game the election process in such a way as to stuff the ballot box and unfairly tilt the playing field in favor of the Biden-Harris ticket. He argues that the weight of the evidence, which comes from sources that include over 50 lawsuits and judicial rulings, Thousands of affidavits and declarations, testimony in a variety of settings, think tank analyses, and press reports is more than sufficient to swing the outcome in favor of President Trump. Biden's margin of victory in all the battleground states except Michigan is less than the number of ballots that Navarro flags as possibly illegal. Rather than any single silver, silver bullet or a, of election irregularity responsible for an unfavorable outcome for Trump, Navarro argues that this was theft by a thousand cuts across six dimensions and six battleground states. First up, there's outright voter fraud. The list of actions that Navarro classifies as outright voter fraud include large-scale manufacturing of fake ballots and bribery, along with the use of ballots cast in the names of dead voters or by ineligible voters like felons and illegal aliens. Others include ballots counted multiple times and those cast by illegal out-of-state voters. Then there's ballot mishandling. And I'm not going to go down all the descriptions. I'm just going to name them off. There's ballot mishandling, contestable process fouls, equal protection clause violations, voting machine irregularities, significant statistical anomalies. And in each one of these cases, he provides a little chart. A graph. It's well. It's a. It's like a almost like a spreadsheet, where you have columns and rows, and uh, each one of the columns is one of the states: Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And then 
there is uh, down the side, there's things like outright voter fraud, ballot mishandling, contestable process files, uh, fouls, equal protection clause violations, voting machine irregularities, significant statistical anomalies. And then he goes on and on and on and breaks those down a little bit further, even to abuses of poll watchers and observers, um, ballots cured by poll workers or voters contrary to laws, higher standards of certification and ID verification applied to in-person voters than to mail-in voters, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result, when you see the graphical breakout, you begin to understand more clearly what's going on. For example, just in this uh, in this first breakout, across the board, in, under the contestable process files, every one of these six states has a check mark. All of them. Statistical anomalies, only five of the six. They couldn't find statistical anomalies yet in Pennsylvania. Outright voter fraud. Arizona, check. Michigan, check. Nevada, check. Wisconsin, check. Eh, some evidence of it in Michigan and Pennsylvania. But it visually breaks down this for you so you can better understand. So get it today. Show notes available, like I said, at dailyperspectivepodcast.com. And I'll try to make sure as soon as I post them, I'll try to post the link on social media as well. But get the show notes today. This one story alone, the PDF of everything that he puts forth, this one story alone is worth the effort, the time it will take for you to grab the show notes today. Just this one. And that's one of three, four, five stories. Who knows? And I'll get them posted as soon as I get through recording this. As soon as the live feed drops, I'll be posting today's show notes. So make sure you get those today, all right? Have a great weekend, my friend. Take some time to unplug, disconnect, get back into sanity, and let's get back together again Monday for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. God bless you. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye-bye. two days off, how's that?